Hey, how you doing today? Everybody's doing all right? You're happy that it is Super Bowl Sunday? Anybody excited about that? Man, I'll tell you what, you guys just can't hide your passion for this day. You're so thrilled about it. You know what, today is the national day where everybody who recognizes that their team is not playing in the Super Bowl gets to choose a team that they would not regularly cheer for. So let me just ask it this way. How many Falcons fans are in the house today? All right, I'm with you today because I'm not going to ask how many Patriots fans there are. I'm just going to say this. After service, we're going to have some prayer teams down here. And if you're, a, if you're a Patriots fan, we believe that God heals that too, okay? So just, you know, just, just kidding. Love you. And let me just apologize if you're a guest and you're a Patriots fan today. We're really, really glad to have you here today. Um, no, but seriously, thank you for being here today. And I do want to say, honestly, no joking, from the bottom of my heart, if you're a guest with us today, thank you for being here. It's good to have you at the bridge. I hope that you feel at home, that you meet some of the awesome people who are a part of this church. Hang out for a bit afterwards. If you're new here and you want to find out more about the church, how you can find your place, come say hi at the Connection Center right after service because we would love to connect with you, tell you about the things that are happening here in the church and how it is that you can be a part of all that. So please take some time because we would love to meet you today. Why don't we give a big hand to all of our guests who are with us today for the first time. Awesome. If you have your Bible, would you meet me in Genesis 37 this morning? Genesis 37. We've been in a series over the last few weeks called Seriously, and we're talking about God's plans and God's purposes for our life. If you're here today and you've never heard it before, you need to know that God has a specific, unique, and distinct purpose for your life. If you're here today and maybe you've heard that many, many times and you've kind of grown familiar with it, you've let it kind of go in one ear and out the other, you need to know that God has a specific, unique, distinct purpose for your life. It might be different than my purpose and my purpose might be different than yours, but God has called all of us to something specific in our lives. You might say, me? Seriously? God could use me? God has a purpose for my life? You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. It is never too late to start walking down the path of God's purpose for your life. Can somebody say amen to that this morning? Awesome. Now, this morning, I want to look at a very important passage of Scripture and a very important character in the Bible, a man named Joseph, the Old Testament character of Joseph. And I want to talk about him today and look at his life, how God kind of pulled purpose out in his life and how the principles that were at work in his life also exist in our lives. And in looking at Joseph's life today, we need to understand that this is not just a story, but we can take things from what Joseph did that will apply directly to our lives and find God's purpose for our lives. Now, before we get into his story this morning, I want to throw four quick principles at you that will go all the way through the story of Joseph's life and they relate to our lives as well. These are very, very important principles, okay? Number one, you have a heavenly father who loves you, who is for you and his favor rests upon you. Let me say that again. You have a heavenly father who loves you, who is for you and his favor rests upon you. Number two, that heavenly father that loves you has a specific, unique, distinct purpose for your life. The heavenly father that loves you, number two, has a specific, distinct, unique purpose for your life. Number three, there is an enemy in this world called the devil who knows that God has a purpose for your life and he will do anything and everything that he can to derail you from achieving God's purpose for your life. 
Number three, one more time, there is an enemy in this world who knows that God has a purpose for your life and he will do anything and everything that he can to derail you from achieving God's purpose for your life. And why is it that he will do anything to stop you from achieving that purpose? Because number four, the purpose that God has for your life is not just about you. It's about the glory of God and God's glory being shown through our life by others. God's purpose for your life is not just about you, it's about his glory and that the glory of God would be seen through our lives and people would know God also. It's also always about others. Now, we're going to talk about Joseph today and if you don't know the story of Joseph, his story is relatively long in Genesis. So since we don't have time to read all of it, I'm going to summarize portions of this for you today. But Joseph was a fourth generation Israelite. God started a new nation of people and he started with a man named Abraham. So the lineage of Abraham was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was a man named Joseph. So he was fourth generation Israelite. This nation of people that God had started was really still kind of in its infancy in so many ways because there were still many, many generations to follow. But Jacob had a very specific, uh, or excuse me, Joseph, the son of Jacob, had a very specific purpose that God had called him to in his life. And what we see is that God began to unravel that and unveil it right before Joseph's very eyes. Now, we also need to understand that Jacob, the father of Joseph, he loved his son Joseph more than any of his other sons. His favor was on him. And I want to read this story, the very beginning here of Joseph's life, so that we can gather a better understanding of the purpose God had for Joseph. So look in Genesis 37 at verse 2. It says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Literally what it's saying is that he was there with his brothers who had different mothers. So Joseph was with his brother from another mother. <laughs> Literally, okay, because his father had multiple wives and multiple kids who were his siblings but from different mothers. Now, we read on. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. He brought a bad report about his brothers back to his father. Now Israel, or Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Many of you will know this picture specifically of Joseph's life and Joseph in the coat or the tunic of many colors. Now, you also need to understand that right there after verse 3, we get an earthly picture of the love and the favor that God has, the Heavenly Father has for our lives. It was always God's will and it was always God's intention that our earthly fathers would be a reflection and show a reflection of the love of the Heavenly Father into our lives. Now, you might be here today and you say, Zach, you don't even know about the imperfect experience I've had with my dad here on this earth. And that might be true, but it does not change the fact that we have a loving, perfect, heavenly father who is for us, who loves us, and his favor rests upon us. And Jacob is a reflection of that, and we see that here in Joseph's life. Now, look at verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Now there's two things you got to see here. We talked that the second thing was that God has a specific, unique, distinct purpose for your life. This is a picture of God's purpose that he had for Joseph, where Joseph has this dream, and it's this very realistic thing that almost haunts him, where he feels like, you know, God is showing me something, and I don't yet know what it means, but I know that he's drawing me towards something. There's purpose wrapped up in this. But as he began to share that dream with his brothers, Scripture says that his brothers hated him even 
more they hated him and they envied him because of the fact that he had all of his father's love. So right here, as his brothers are building their hatred for Joseph, we see a picture of the enemy moving in to attack that purpose that God had for Joseph's life. Now look at verse 6. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood around mine and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated Joseph even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9, Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bound down to me. Now you have to understand that Joseph talks about the 11 stars bowing down to him while he's talking to his 11 brothers. They're starting to get the picture that maybe Joseph might think that he's a little bit better than his brothers. They hate him even more. They're envious of him. But God's doing something inside of Joseph. Now look at verse 10. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, and they hated him even more. But his father kept the matter in mind. In other words, his father Jacob didn't forget about this. He held on to it. This dream must mean something. This picture that we've just seen here is a picture really of the first stage or scene of Joseph's life. This is the scene that I would call Joseph the dreamer. He's beginning to unlock and, and begin to see that God has called him to something. And for Joseph, it was in the form of a dream. It was like he was having a dream that wasn't just a dream. It was like a vision of something that was in front of him. It wasn't like he took some extra NyQuil, had some strange dream. When he woke up, he forgot all about it. This was like something very real that happened in his dream where he saw a vision and he was so compelled by it that he realized that God had shown him something and he was walking out a purpose that was going in the direction of this dream. He didn't yet know what all of it meant, but he knew that there was purpose in the dream that God had given him. Now, when you have a dream, one of the things that you have to learn is how to cultivate that. Let me tell you something today. You might have a dream in your heart of some great things that God is calling you to, but not everybody is going to understand that. And Joseph didn't get that yet. Joseph was pretty young and he was immature and he thought, hey, my family's going to be so excited about this amazing dream that I have. And then he began to tell them all about it and the Bible says that they hated him for it. Because they saw themselves as perhaps bowing down before Joseph one day. Sometimes we have to learn how to cultivate the dream that God has put inside of us. And let me tell you something, that the house of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is the best place to cultivate the dream that God has put inside of you. Because when you come into an atmosphere of faith like this, you surround yourself with people who will encourage you to step into that dream and always speak words of life into you. So know that if there's a dream inside of you, you have to get in this place. You have to surround yourself with people who are going to speak words of life and not try to kill or choke out that dream that God has put inside of you. But there was all kinds of dysfunction going on inside of Joseph's home. And his brothers despised him for it. But Joseph's a dreamer. Well, the next thing that we see is that one day, and I'll summarize this next part for you very quickly. We see that one day Jacob tells Joseph, why don't you go out into the field and check on your brothers and bring me back a report of what they're doing. They're working out in the fields. They're taking care of my flocks. So he goes out one day, and as Joseph begins to get closer, his brothers see him coming. And they look at him in, in the distance, and they're like, man, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the one who tells us that one day we're all going to bow down before him. You know what? It seems like our lives would be so much better if we could just get rid of this guy. Because he's always making us so upset and angry. He's got all of our father's love. Our father gives us all these gifts, to the, him all these gifts that he doesn't give to us. It seems like life would be so much better if Joseph wasn't around. So scripture says that his brothers began to plot 
how to kill Joseph. But as they start to come up with an idea of how to kill him, one of his brothers, a guy named Reuben, he speaks up and he says, listen, guys, we can't kill our brother. We'd have to live the rest of our lives knowing that his blood was on our hands. You know how much agony and, and sorrow that would bring our father? Well, we can't kill him because we know forever that it was on us. It was our fault that our brother was dead. So instead, they said, instead of us killing him, let's just throw him into a pit. And he'll just die there. It won't be our fault. We'll just have put him there, but we won't be the ones who have literally killed him. We'll just leave him there to die. So scripture says that they throw him in a pit. And as soon as they're about to leave him, they encounter this band of Ishmaelite traitors. These Ishmaelites, they would have been like the rejected cousins of Joseph's family. So these guys are coming through town and they, they see these guys over here, Joseph's brothers, and they say, you know what, instead of letting him die, why don't we try to get a profit out of this? Let's see if we can sell him into slavery. So scripture says that they go to the Ishmaelites, they negotiate to sell their brother Joseph into slavery for a few pieces of silver. So Joseph is sold off into slavery. His brothers decide to go back and tell Jacob, the father, that he suddenly just disappeared. We don't know what happened to him. We'll bring a piece of his garment and take it to dad and say, you know, a wild animal must have killed him. We never even saw him out there in the field. We don't know what happened. And they would have to sell their father on this lie that their brother has just suddenly disappeared. And so that's what they do. They go back and they tell Jacob, Joseph, we never even saw him. He's gone. A wild animal must have killed him or something. And they have to go the rest of their lives having to hold on to this lie, this secret that they know inside of their heart that, in fact, they sold their brother into slavery never to be seen again, or so they think. Now let's just push pause on that for a moment because now Jacob has to think that for the rest of his life he's never going to see his son ever again. And these guys, his brothers, have to live with that secret. Well, Scripture goes on to tell us that now Joseph is sold to these Ishmaelites who take him back to Egypt. And this is where we pick up the story in the second phase of Joseph's life. Joseph, Joseph goes from being Joseph the dreamer to now he's Joseph the slave. Joseph the slave. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you start out with a dream that God puts in your heart. You suddenly think that if God, you've given me a dream, that means that my next step must be a step of success. That means that my next step must be a step of prosperity. Surely, God, if you've given me this amazing dream, then the next thing I'm going to do is going to be achieving this great purpose that you've set before me. But instead, Joseph finds himself a slave in a foreign land at about 17 or 18 years old. And as we look at the second part of Joseph's life, there's a couple of things that I want to show you. Now look at Genesis 39, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So he sold to a band of Ishmaelites who take him to Egypt and sell him to a guy named Potiphar. This surely was not the dream that Joseph had in his mind. Surely this thing that was happening to him did not line up with the dream that was inside of him. I want to ask you a question today. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment, or maybe you don't have to think that hard about it. Maybe you've dealt with some difficulties in your life. I want to ask you a question today. What happens when the dream inside of you does not match up with the reality around you? What do you do when you feel like God has made you a promise that you're holding on to in your heart, but when you look around you, you don't see anything that resembles the dream that God has given you? What do you do? What do you do? Because Joseph was a dreamer, but now Joseph finds himself a slave in a foreign land. He's far from his father's love and affection. And in fact, now he's serving some other person as a slave. 
You know, if you go on and you read in Scripture, when you look at Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes specifically, you see David and Solomon, anytime they had questions for God, they were always so quick to point out and say, God, where are you at right now? God, what's going on? And God, it just feels like you're so far. It feels like you're so far away. I mean, I believe in you. I'm holding on to your promises. But God, I, I just don't understand where you are. But Scripture doesn't record Joseph praying any prayers like that. Instead, what we see is that J Joseph takes a situation which seems to be hopeless and starts to make the best of that situation. Can I tell you something? When you find yourself in a desperate situation and you feel like God is nowhere to be found, sometimes you have to find things to be grateful for. And sometimes that's a difficult thing to do. But I think Joseph was looking back and thinking, you know, when my brothers grabbed me and said they were going to kill me, I thought I was dead. I thought I was surely going to die next, but they didn't kill me. Instead, they sold me into slavery. And slavery isn't exactly what I had in mind, but I'll tell you what, I'd rather be alive and breathing than be dead. I'd rather be a slave than be six feet under. Any day above ground is better than a day beneath it. I think Joseph had to look around and find something to be grateful for. And sometimes when we're facing insurmountable odds and impossible situations and it, thing, it seems like everything is against us, we have to find things to be thankful for. Because as long as you and I have breath in our lungs, we have something to be thankful for on this earth. Joseph said, I might be a slave, but I'm going to make the very best of it. Now, let's read on because I want to look at the very next thing that happens. Look at verse 2 of Genesis 39. Now, the Lord was with Joseph. How do you think Joseph was able to survive as a slave? I think it's found right there in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful Man, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. Didn't it just say that he was a slave? But now it says that he was a successful man, a successful slave. That almost comes off like an oxymoron. How can you be a successful slave? You're serving somebody else. You're, you're, you're kind of at their beck and call. But Scripture says that God was with them and he was a successful Man, I think Joseph found a way to have optimistic faith. And when everything seemed to be going against him and he found something to be grateful for, Joseph learned a very important lesson. It says right there at the beginning of verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. Can I tell you today that you might be facing hell and high water. You might, be, you might be finding yourself at the bottom of a pit. You might be up against something that is totally impossible. But here's the thing. It is not about where you are. It's all about who is with you. Because scripture says that the Lord was with Joseph. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He said, lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. And it doesn't matter what you're up against. You need to know that it's not about where you are. It's all about who is with you. And you might be in this situation right now where you're like, God, what's going on? This isn't the dream that you put in my heart. I even feel like I'm kind of a slave to this situation that I'm in. But don't look around. Don't get stuck in your situation. Don't let your circumstances dictate your faith. Look for something to be grateful for and recognize that it's not about where you are, but who is with you. Because if God be for you, let me just ask, who can be against you? Who can be against you? In the most desperate of situations, who can be against you? I'm always fascinated when I read the story of Joseph because Scripture says that he suddenly begins to find favor in Potiphar's house. And I want to read on and look at this a little bit further. But when it comes to the challenges that we are facing, I say it's not about where we are but who's there with us. Because God wants to walk through every situation of our life with us, the good and the bad. And when we find ourselves in those places and we look around and feel like all is lost and we're in it all by ourselves, we have to realize that there's somebody that's in every situation with us, and that's God. Joseph knew that all along, so therefore he had something to be grateful for. Now, when you look at his life, Scripture tells us that he began to find favor 
with Potiphar, and he was a successful man, a successful slave. That's just something that I can't get my head around. I mean, when you think about that, that's just wild. Now look at this. In verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Now let's read this verse in context because you've got to catch this. And his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord made all he. Who do you think the he is talking about right there? He's not talking about Joseph. He's talking about Potiphar. And that the Lord made all that Potiphar did to prosper in his, Joseph's hand. Why? Because Potiphar had put Joseph in charge of everything in his house. Potiphar was this guy that was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Now you have to understand that when he left Joseph in charge of his entire house, there were probably days where he went to coffee in the morning with some of his buddies and he's like, guys, you're not going to believe this. I got this slave living in my house, but it's almost like he doesn't know he's a slave. This guy suddenly has taken charge of my house and now he's overseeing all my other slaves. And literally, I'm prospering like I've never prospered before because this guy is in charge of my entire household. I don't have to worry about anything because this slave... I can suddenly trust him with my entire house. I mean, can you imagine how crazy that probably sounded to Potiphar's friends? But I think the reason why it was that way was because Joseph didn't see himself as a slave. He saw himself as a servant. He didn't see himself as a slave. He saw himself as a servant. Look at this in verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. I think the thing that we have to catch from this phase and from this season of Joseph's life is that Joseph cho chose not to be a slave. He chose to be a servant. And I think he looked ahead and he said, you know what I'm going to do to get out of slavery? I'm going to serve my way out of slavery. I'm going to see to it that my boss, my master, the guy whom I'm serving, that he prospers as much as possible. And what's most interesting about this is as Potiphar began to prosper, I, don't think it, he, I think he knew right away that it wasn't Joseph's skills that made him prosper. It was the fact that the hand of God was on Joseph's life all the way through. Now you might say, how does this apply to my life? Over the last few years, and over the last 10 years, especially in this area, ever since we had an economic recession, it's amazing the amount of people that you meet who talk about, you know, it just feels like I'm underemployed. It feels like my business wasn't going as, isn't going as well now as it was then. It seems like things are never going to get better. It seems like never going to recover from the way things have been. I'll never forget, about 11 years ago, I felt like God was calling me to move to Orange County to be a part of a church plant. And so I moved there. I didn't know at the time I'd spend the next seven years of my life there. And I remember I quit my job. I pretty much cut all ties and moved out there. And I remember looking for a job, and it seemed like every single day my bank account was just going like this and this and this and this and this. And I'm looking for a job, and the door opens and the door closes, and the door opens and the door closes. And one day I'm sitting at this park in Newport Beach that overlooks Pacific Coast Highway and the harbor there in Newport. And let me just tell you, Newport Beach is a bad place to live when you're broke, okay? So I'm sitting at this park, and I'm just crying out to God. I'm like, God... I don't know what to do. I feel so strongly like I am in the place that I'm supposed to be, but I can't find a job. I'm so desperate for a job right now that I would almost take anything. And I didn't want to just have any old job. I wanted a good job. But I'm God, I just need a job. Let me just help me here. And I remember crying out and just feeling so broken and so depleted. And I'm sitting there that day, and I'm looking out, and as I'm praying out to God and crying out, God, my bank account's going down and I don't have a job. There's like Bentleys and Lamborghinis and Ferraris driving by. I mean... 
nothing makes you feel more inferior than that when you don't have much and you look around and see other people who have plenty. As I'm crying out to God, I mean as specifically as I've ever heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, that very day I'm sitting in that park and God says, you know what, there's a lot of people in this town that have a lot of stuff, but in the one area that they are, they're bankrupt in their spirit, you have everything that they don't have. And the Lord just began to encourage me. And he says, Zach, I brought you here for a purpose. You know that you're in the right place. I got the right thing right in front of you. Just hold on to that dream. Just hold on to that promise. And so I got a job a few weeks later. And these guys offered me a job working for their company. And they're in the scuba diving wholesale business. They had their own product line of scuba gear. I'd never scuba dived in my whole life, okay. I knew nothing about it. But they offered me a job. And these guys were really, really good guys. And I wasn't making a commission. I was on an hourly basis. But I had the health benefits and the things that I needed. And I'll tell you what, I knew from the very beginning that that was not the job I was going to stay in for the rest of my life. And when I first got there, I knew I wasn't going to get rich working there, but the guys that owned the company were getting rich while I was working there. But I sat there, and you know what, it is so easy. Listen to me, because I know there are some people in the house today that are in this exact situation. Right now, you feel like you're spinning your wheels. Maybe you're working for somebody else, and they're prospering, they're doing well, but you're like, God, what about me? See, Joseph was a slave to this man named Potiphar, but instead of having a slave mentality, he chose to serve Potiphar. And he said, I'm going to see to it that this guy, my master, prospers like crazy, so that way he will see that the hand of God is on my life. Can I tell you something today? If you are serving somebody else in a career path right now, serve them as unto the Lord, see them prosper, and God will show his hand through your life, and they will know that God is real because of your prosperity. You know, we talk about prosperity in church sometimes and we, we tend to make it all about us. Did you know that godly prosperity is not just about us, it's always about God's glory and it's always, always, always about others. When we hear that word prosperity and we make it only about us, we've missed the point of what prosperity is. God brings things into our life, he brings it to us so he can get it through us. The purpose that God has for your life is not just about your life, it will always be about the glory of God and it will always be about others. Amen? Now... Things are looking up for Joseph. Joseph is serving in Potiphar's house. He doesn't see himself as a slave. He knows that he's a servant. He's going to see his master prosper. So things are looking up for him. He's put in charge of his entire house, Potiphar's entire house. Joseph has it at his command. So Joseph's thinking, man, my promotion's coming soon. This is going to be great. God is going to get me out of here. I'm not going to be a slave anymore. I'm going to be a free man. But pretty soon Joseph's walking through the house one day and all of Potiphar's other servants are outside working in the field. Potiphar's gone at work. He's in the office doing his thing. As he walks through the house, Potiphar's wife comes out of the bedroom and she flips her hair. She bats her eyes. She looks at Joseph and she says, hey, Joe. How you doing? You know, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I've been watching you. I've had my eye on you. Kind of a good-looking guy there, Joseph. So that's probably not what she said. But, but she says, you know, my husband, he, he's not here. And, um, you know, nobody would ever know if, you know, and what we see is Potiphar's wife starts to proposition Joseph. And Joseph realizes, oh my gosh, what's happening right now? And scripture literally says that Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife propositioning, his response is, I can't do that because not only would it be wicked in the sight of your husband, but it would be wicked in the sight of my God. Because who do you think Joseph's looking to for promotion? He's not looking to Potiphar for promotion. He's looking to God for promotion. Can I tell you something? If you're in a season right now where you are waiting for God to promote you, you need to remember something. Character absolutely counts. Character absolutely counts. There are no shortcuts when it comes to serving God. We do, we, we, we do our very best because even if nobody's looking, God is always looking. God is always looking. 
And I look at this story, and one of the things that grabs my attention right away is that Joseph recognizes that it's not about whether or not Potiphar ever finds out. Even if he never found out, God saw if I were to make that decision. He would know that I did it. And I can't do that. That would be sin. It would be wickedness in the sight of my God. So he turns down Potiphar's wife. And Scripture tells us that she makes this big scene and she calls out to all the other servants and says, this man that's been brought into our house is here to shame us and he's made these passes at me. And she says, you just wait until my husband gets home because I'm going to tell him what you've done. Now, look down now to the next scene of Joseph's life. Look in Genesis 39 and in verse 19. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did it to me after this manner, that his anger, Potiphar's anger, aroused against Joseph. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. See, just a couple of minutes ago, everything seemed to be looking up for Joseph. Seemed like that big promotion, getting out of slavery, was the next step in Joseph's life. But remember what we said a second ago? There is an enemy to the purpose of God for your life. And the enemy, the devil, begins to go after Joseph to slow him down from, to, from stepping into God's purpose for his life. And it happens through Potiphar's wife who propositions him. He turns him down. This whole false accusation happens. And now suddenly, Joseph finds himself in prison. Second ago, he thought he was headed in the right direction. That promotion's coming soon. But now, and I'm not just a dreamer, now I'm not even a slave. Now I'm a prisoner. I mean, think about this, this step here. This doesn't seem to be a step in the right direction or a step forward. He goes from being a dreamer to being a slave to being a prisoner. It seems like suddenly Joseph is taking backward steps in the purpose and the path that God has for his life. How is that? This is an interesting thing. If you look at Psalm 37, Psalm 37 says a passage of, of Scripture that we know very well, that the steps of the righteous man are ordered by the Lord. A lot of times the things that we see in front of us are these steps. When we think about the path that God has for us, we tend to think that it's this path that's going to go in one straight, continual direction. But what if God intentionally orders your steps to where he wants you to take you backwards sometimes, and he wants to take you forward sometimes, and he wants to take you laterally sometimes because he knows what's coming around every single corner. A lot of times we look at the steps that we're taking, we say, God, I feel like I'm taking a step back. Surely this isn't your purpose for my life. This doesn't align with the dream that you have for my life. God, where are you at? Am I still going in the right direction? The thing that you and I have to understand is that sometimes if we find ourselves taking a step back, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've had a setback in the purpose that God is calling us to. Because what we might not yet know is that maybe God has us right where he wants us, even if in the natural it seems like we're going backwards. Let's keep going. Look at what it says next. It says in Genesis 39 and verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. That's the second passage in a row that Joseph finds himself in a difficult situation, but it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So just like when he was in slavery, now he finds himself having favor with the prison warden or the keeper of the prison. Look at verse 22. And the keeper of the prison, just like Potiphar, committed Joseph's hand, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. In other words, Joseph was now in charge of the prison. Now think about what the prison warden said when he went to coffee with his buddies. You guys aren't going to believe this. I got this prisoner in my prison and he doesn't think that he's a prisoner. It's like he thinks he's my assistant because now he's in charge of all the other prisoners and I don't have to worry about anything. I just let him handle it. And here's the crazy part. It seems like things have gone better and better with every single thing that I've given him. 
Because I don't think that the prison warden cared much about Joseph's skills. He looked and saw that the hand of God was on Joseph's life and he said, well, I want that kind of favor in my life. Because once again, he went from slavery to being in prison and it seemed like he took a step back, but it wasn't a setback. In fact, Joseph began to realize that while I might be in prison, this isn't any old prison. This is the prison where Pharaoh sends people to. So it's almost like while I might be in prison, suddenly I found myself one step closer to the palace. Because a step back isn't always a setback. So Joseph manages what's given to him. Suddenly he becomes the overseer of the prison. And Joseph again takes on this mentality that I'm going to serve my way out of slavery and the day will come where I'm going to be a free man. You know what's interesting about this is that when the enemy begins to fight us and tell us, give up on God's purpose, give up on God's plan, hold on, let go of the promises that God had for your life, don't hold on to those things anymore. When he wants to discourage us the most and we find ourselves taking that step back, those are the times that we have to really buckle down and realize that God just might be at work and doing something that we can't see. You know, I was a kid. We used to play with slingshots, okay. We would go, me and my buddies, we'd go out in the woods and mainly because my parents didn't trust us with pellet guns. But we would go out in the woods and we had slingshots. And we would pick up rocks and we would put them in that little pouch. And for all the guys, how many guys have ever played with a slingshot before? If you get a slingshot, what do you have to do? Like we would look up in the tree and we would want to knock birds out of the tree or something, right? So you take that rock and you put it in that pouch and you hold it right there in the palm of your hand. And you aim that slingshot and you pull that pouch back as far as you can. Because the further you pull it back, the faster the velocity will be when you let go of it. And sometimes what we don't realize is that when we have a setback or, or excuse me, a step back in our life, we tend to think that it's the setback in God's purpose. But what you might not know is that right there where you are, God might have you right in the palm of his hand in that slingshot. And what you don't know is that at the right appointed time when he lets go of that thing, he's aiming you to propel you in the very place that he has for you in your life. So if you feel like you're in a season where you continually are taking steps back, but you've been holding on to the promises of God, you've been trusting that dream that he's put in your heart, you need to know that the time is coming where God is going to release you from the place you are, and he is going to propel you into something that is even bigger and even greater than anything you've ever imagined. You just might be right now in the slingshot of God. Optimistic faith. I think Joseph understood that while I might be in prison, I'm in the prison that's right near Pharaoh's palace. And even though it feels like a step back, suddenly I found myself taking a step forward and I'm only a few steps from the palace. God's given me this dream and I don't yet know what it means, but I feel like the day is coming where I'm going to be a person of authority, a person of position where I'm going to be ruling and reigning. And in that picture I see others bowing before me and I, I don't really think it's about me, but I just know that God's calling me to something like that. Next thing that we see Joseph's there in prison. He's taking care of the prison warden's duties. The prison warden isn't worried about anything because Joseph is prospering in all that he does. And he encounters Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker who have been thrown in prison. He's having a deeper conversation with both of them, but specifically the butler. The King James calls him the cupbearer. This guy's job was literally just to wait on Pharaoh and hold his cup. You need a drink here, let me get it for you. That was who he was. And Joseph encounters this guy in prison and he starts having these crazy dreams where he's like, man, I don't yet know what these dreams mean. And he comes to Joseph and Joseph says, well, the Lord can tell you what these dreams mean. Go ahead and tell me what that's all about. And so the butler begins to tell Joseph what his dream is. And Joseph looks at him and he says, in three days you're going to be out of here, you're going to be serving Pharaoh again, you're going to be out of prison. Well, sure enough, three days later, the dream comes true. 
And he looks at Butler and he says, when you get up there, when you see Pharaoh, remember me. Don't forget about me because I don't want to be in this prison forever. Don't forget about me. When you come before Pharaoh, remember my name. Remember me. Scripture says that the butler forgets until one night Pharaoh has a dream. Now, is this not a coincidence or what? If anybody's going to have a dream and look for someone to interpret it, isn't there somebody now in the land who interprets these dreams? So Pharaoh has this dream. And the butler says, oh my gosh, Pharaoh, you're not going to believe this. I can't believe I forgot about this. There's a guy in the prison and he had just told me that in three days I'd be out of here. I'd be right back here serving you. He says, he can tell you what your dream means. So Pharaoh says, bring him before me. And suddenly Joseph finds himself out of the prison and standing before Pharaoh in the palace. Don't you know that Joseph knew that his moment had arrived? Don't you know that he looked back and said, man, I've made it all this way. I've made it through slavery. I've made it through prison. And now here I am standing before the most powerful man in the world. I don't know what comes next, but I know that I've drawn closer and closer to my purpose because I haven't let go of the promise that God gave me. And as he stands before Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I'm having this dream where these seven fat cows come out of the water and then seven skinny cows come out of the water and they devour the fat cows and I don't know what it means. And then I have these seven heads of grain that are, that are big and fat and they're healthy looking but then seven skinny heads of grain come out and they devour the seven healthy and I don't know what it means. I'm not sure what these dreams mean. Joseph looks at him and he says, these dreams are both alike. God's trying to confirm and tell you. And in the next 14 years, there's going to be seven years of plenty in Egypt that are going to be followed by seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to be so great that they're going to devour everything that you had in the seven years of plenty. And Pharaoh says, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Joseph says, you need to appoint a man of wisdom who can prepare in the seven years of plenty so that you're ready for the seven years of famine. Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, God has given you the interpretation of my dream. And if God is with you, then who else would I possibly appoint who else would I possibly appoint to oversee my affairs in Egypt? Which takes us into the fourth stage of Joseph's life. First he's Joseph the dreamer. Then he's Joseph the slave. Then he's Joseph the prisoner. And now he's Joseph the ruler. Because Pharaoh says, only I oversee Joseph. Joseph, you're in charge of everybody, the entire nation of Egypt. I put you in charge of it. Scripture goes on to tell us that Joseph prospers so much, and as his prosperity comes, Egypt prospers because he gathers in a fifth of the grain during the seven plentiful years. And they have such a massive amount of grain that's stored into the seven years of famine that they're okay and they're able to survive, and they have a plethora of grain that they need to get through the seven years of famine. Now at this point, the thing that would be really great in the story is if the whole thing ended and we just said, wow, look at Joseph. He stood there. He had people bowing before him. He was a man of great power and God kept his promise. But remember, God's purposes for your life, for my life, and for Joseph's life aren't just about us. They're about God's glory and they'll always be about other people. Because earlier on we talked about Joseph's father and his brothers. Scripture says that that famine that hit Egypt... It didn't just hit Egypt, it also hit the land of Canaan. So suddenly Jacob, his father, and Joseph's 11 brothers are looking and realizing they don't have much food left, they don't have much money left. And this famine just might be the end of them. And one day jo Jacob looks at his sons and he says, guys, I've heard that there's extra grain in Egypt. I think I need to send you guys with whatever money we got left. Let's just scrape it together. Let's go to Egypt and let's see if we can buy some grain so that we can survive. So Joseph's brothers come having absolutely no idea that when they got to Egypt, the one person that they were going to have to ask if they wanted that grain 
was the guy that they sold into slavery so many years ago. What's interesting about the story is that in Psalm 105, Scripture tells us in Psalm 105 that Joseph, when a famine came, that God sent Joseph before Jacob and the other Israelites so that the day would come that when they faced a famine, they would be able to survive. Joseph's brothers come before him and they have no idea that the man they're bowing before, just like his dream had said when he was 17 years old, that the man they were bowing before was their brother. Joseph struggles and he goes back and forth and he he wants to see his younger brother Benjamin and he wants to know what's going on with his father and there's a big back and forth that happens over the the course of a few chapters until the day comes that Joseph finally reveals himself. With his heart broken and tears coming down his face, he looks at his brother and says, I'm your brother, Joseph. I'm the one that you sold into slavery all those years ago. Now you've come to buy grain from me, the one that you sold into slavery, the one that you betrayed. And I'm here to tell you today that now I know the reason God put me in this position of power, power wasn't because of my power. It wasn't so that I could receive all the glory. It wasn't so that people could bow down to me. It's because God sent me before you to save you and the future generations that will follow us. See, God had sent Joseph before his brothers, and because of that great famine that came into the land of Canaan, Joseph was able to store up and make Egypt so prosperous that it saved the future generations of the Israelites, God's chosen people who did not die in the famine because of Joseph who did not give up on the promise during slavery when he was in prison. When the day came that he was the one who could help a generation and a nation of people survive. And we said earlier that God's purposes for our life aren't just about us. They're always going to be about others. They're always going to be about God's glory. You know, it's in closing this morning, I'm almost finished today. I remember a few years ago we were sitting, Ashley and I were sitting with a, a couple of really good friends of ours. And we were newlyweds and they just found out they were going to have their first baby. And when they told us that they were going to have their first child, they had no idea the fight that they were in. Because God, or, or God just really has, has walked them through an amazing journey. But they received bad report after bad report about how the baby wouldn't survive, about how the baby, you know, it might just be a vegetable the rest of her life. And she has just overcome one thing after another. And it's been this amazing journey. But I'll never forget sitting with our friends a few years ago when they just found out that they were pregnant. And my friend Dave, he looked at me and he goes, you know, he said, sometimes I think about the purpose and the plan that God has for my life. And I sometimes wonder if the dreams that he's put in my heart really aren't about me. But what if like the greatest thing that God has called me to do with my life is raise up a daughter who is going to do something even greater than I'll ever do with my life. I heard him say that and I have to be honest, I don't think I've fully understood what he was talking about until I had kids of my own. And if you're a regular part of our church and you've heard me preach before, I'm kind of like that proud young dad that just gushes about his kids all the time when I preach, but for so many years when we come to church, I would talk to my friends, I would talk to other people, and the goal that I had in mind was build a church, you know, invest my life into a church that I want to be a part of, the kind of church that I could be proud of. Now I find myself at this place in life where I'm less interested in building a church that I can be proud of, and I'm more interested in building a church that I can hand off to my kids that they'll want to inherit because the purposes that God has for our life aren't always about us. They're always going to be about His glory and His glory being seen in our lives to others. The revelation that Joseph got at the end of his life 
was that when his brothers came to bow down before him, it wasn't about his power, it wasn't about his position, and it wasn't about his authority. He was strategically placed there so that he could serve those guys and make sure that his generation of Israelites didn't die in the wilderness in the middle of a famine. And if you're here today and you feel like you're pursuing God's purposes, but maybe things haven't worked out for you just yet, can I just ask you a question? Have you made the purposes of God all about you or have you ever stopped to consider that maybe the thing that God wants to do in you isn't just about you, it's about Him and it's about other people? I'm excited for where our church is going. We got some things that we're doing this year that are gonna help to propel us in that direction. Can I tell you something? I'm reaching this place in my life where I'm less interested in building a church that's for me and I'm more interested in building a church that's for our children. Because our children are gonna face some tough stuff but we need to understand that the purposes that we are living for are not just about us, they're about them and the ones who will follow them and the ones who will follow them. Because if we don't tell them about Jesus, let me tell you, the world will make sure that they never hear the message. We need to understand that God's purposes for our life are not just about us. They're always gonna be about His glory and always be about other people, amen? Father, I just thank you today for your goodness. I thank you for your presence that's here today. God, I know that many people here today have big plans for the rest of the day. It's kind of a special day in our nation, Father, but I pray that right now you would just calm our souls for just one moment as we focus in on you, as we lean into you. God, draw near to us. Encourage people today who feel like they've lost their path, they've lost their way. Encourage people today who feel like they've taken a step back. Let them know that they haven't had a setback. If they're still trusting in you, there is always hope and you will always keep your promises. Father, finally today, I pray for the ones who might be here who are far from you, who may be given up on their relationship with you. Or maybe the one who's here today who's never come into that relationship with you. I pray that they would find you calling their name and drawing them near to salvation, to forgiveness, to freedom, and ultimately to purpose that you have for their lives. And today with every head bowed and with every eye closed, just for another moment, I wanna ask you where you're at when it comes to a relationship with God. I know that the message has been a little bit on the long side today and I thank you for your patience, but I just wanna tell you that the most important thing that you could ever do with your life is make a decision to follow Jesus. He's the only one that can forgive us of our sins and bring us freedom in this life, give us hope for all of eternity and walk us into an amazing purpose that he has for us. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I wanna tell you it's the best decision you could ever make because there ain't nothing like living life for Jesus. And if you're here today and you made that decision before but you know honestly right there where you're at that you're far from God, I wanna tell you the best decision you could make right now is to recommit your life to Jesus and let him walk you into the purpose he has for you. Bible tells us that this thing called sin, our imperfections, the places where we've missed the mark is the thing that separates us from God. But God loves us so much that right in the midst of our sin, he sent Jesus as the bridge to die a death that we deserve, to take a punishment that we deserve for our sin so that we could walk away free, that we could have hope for eternity and have purpose in our lives with forgiveness and freedom. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I wanna invite you to pray a prayer for the very first time. If today you're here and you've made that decision before, but you know you're not walking with God, I want to invite you to pray a prayer and recommit your life. We're going to do this all together and give you one last instruction after that. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but in fact, we're all going to pray a heartfelt prayer together. And I want to ask everybody in the house right now, right out loud, if you just repeat these words after me and say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for taking my place on the cross and for dying the death that I deserved. Today I choose you. I want your forgiveness. I believe that you're the son of God who died for me 
who rose again and is offering me redemption. I want your purpose for my life. I want hope for eternity. And I thank you for loving me and accepting me as your own. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, if you're here and you made that commitment in your heart, I want to tell you that it's just the beginning of a journey of walking with a community of people into a relationship with God. And we want to help you as very best we can. We have a simple tool that we'd like to put in your hands just to get you started on that walk with God. It's a small book. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's free. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help you in any way that we possibly can. If you want to get that, we have a couple of different ways to get it to you. Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams right down here. They're here to pray with you if you have a need. you got something going on in your life, you want someone to pray with you, please come say hi. These, these guys are happy to help you and to pray with you. But also let them know you made a decision today. They'll be happy to give you that book and help you out there. And if you need to go quickly, please stop by the Connection Center, the big circle in the middle of the foyer. Let them know that today you made a decision to start walking with God. They'll give you the book to help you get started. We are here to help you to walk out this journey of faith with you because we love you. We're a church family, and that's the way it ought to be. Hey, can we welcome some people into the family of God this morning? Amen. Awesome. Can we give Pastor Zach a hand for that great message this morning? That was awesome. But this time we are going to worship God with our giving. And, you know, in this morning's message, it was incredibly clear that our lives, that God's purpose for our lives, never just about us. It's always about others. And it's the same with our finances. You know, God is our provider and he provides for us. He brings provision into our lives, whether it's through our paychecks or other sources of income. And it is never his intention that all of that provision that he blesses us with would be used solely on ourselves. He wants us to use his provision to honor him first and to be a blessing into others' lives. And when we give here at the bridge every week, that is exactly what happens because our collective giving is making a difference in others' lives. Each week here through our services and the different ministries of the bridge, we are seeing people every single week giving their lives to Jesus, finding his love, finding hope in Jesus Christ. And through our community care program, we are helping meet the needs of this entire valley for anyone who's in need. We give free food and clothing every single week. And we're impacting people's lives across the globe through all of our different missions efforts. So I want you to be encouraged this morning. Know that as you are giving today, you are allowing your finances to extend beyond your life to impact others. God bless you as you give. And let's check out our church news together. great to be in church with you today. We are thrilled that you and your family are here with us on Super Bowl Sunday. We hope that you enjoy the big game later today with family and friends, but first we want to say thanks for spending the morning with your church family. January has quickly come and gone, but it's not too late to be a part of all that we have planned for 2017 at The Bridge. Here's a look at what's coming up. Are you new to The Bridge? Have you been sitting on the sidelines and you want to find out how you can get involved? We want to invite you to come to Connecting Point. Connecting Point is the place to meet our team, hear our vision, and find out where you fit in. 
It's happening next Sunday, February 12th at 6 p.m., and childcare is provided for all kids, infant through fifth grade. Just sign up at the Connection Center or on our website. We look forward to hosting you and your family and helping you find your place at the bridge. If you are a junior high or high school student or a parent of a student, today is the last day to register your student for SoCal Youth Convention. Youth Convention is happening February 17th through the 19th, and we want as many students as possible to join us for this life-changing weekend. If you are already registered or you'd like to register before the deadline, come and join us for a quick informational meeting today immediately following our 11 a.m. service in the Youth Center Cafe. We will get you all the details you need so that your student can be a part of SoCal Youth Convention 2017. A brand new term of Connect Groups will be launching in just a few short weeks, and we are very excited to see more and more people find family here at the bridge and build deeper relationships. Maybe you're interested in leading a Connect Group and you have a heart to help people find those friendships. I want to invite you to come to a new Connect Group Leaders Info Meeting. It's happening next Sunday morning at 10.15, immediately following first service in the Youth Center Cafe. Just stop by the Connection Center before you go today and sign up so that we can plan for you. We look forward to partnering with you to see more people grow together in Connect Groups. Chick Connection will be resuming this Tuesday morning at 9.30 a.m. Ladies, you are invited to come and join a community of women where you are loved, valued, and believed in. Child care is provided for all infant through preschool age kids as well as a homeschool room. And as always, Spanish translations available. So come early and enjoy the connection experience with complimentary refreshments and take advantage of the Pamper Lounge. We hope to see you and your girlfriends on Tuesday morning. Man to Man is happening this Tuesday, and we want to invite every single guy in the house to be there. It all starts at 6.30 p.m. when dinner is provided. Then we'll worship God together and be encouraged to do God's good at our gates while taking back the ground that we have lost. He wants us to take back the ground we've lost in our families. He wants us to take back the ground we've lost in our in our sometimes in our church, in our jobs, in our in our personal lives when it comes to the addictions or the disease. He wants us to take back the ground we've lost in our country. It's a big, big task. So guys, be here this Tuesday night at 6:30 p.m. For man to man. If you are a guest with us today, we would love to meet you and help you find a home here at the bridge. Stop by the Connection Center before you go and say hi. Our team would love to meet you and tell you more about everything that's coming up in church life. And if you made a decision to follow Christ today, you can also grab a free copy of the next seven days at the Connection Center. We want to help you begin your journey of faith. If you want to stay connected, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv, for details about everything that's coming up. We're excited about spending 2017 with you. Have an awesome Sunday. 
are so many great things happening here at the bridge this week, and I'm especially excited about Chick Connection resuming after a very long holiday break. We'll be starting a new study on Tuesday. You don't want to miss it. And another thing happening this week is construction is beginning in the foyer this week. So we're very excited about that. But because of the construction starting in the foyer, this Tuesday, ladies, if you're coming to Chick Connection, we will be using an alternate entrance. We'll be using the side entrance over on this side of the building. Just watch for the signs. They will direct you. And then when you come in, we will also have signs directing you for our children's check-in procedure during the construction as well. That's right. And Tuesday night is a man-to-man. I know you just saw the announcement, but I wanted to share one thing. Normally, man-to-man is the second Tuesday of the month. But this month, it's the first Tuesday of the month because men are smart. Can I get three, three nod, head nods or something, a bobblehead? Because men are smart, and they know the second Tuesday this month is Valentine's Day, and they're watching out for their wives, all right? So ladies, kick him out of the house Tuesday night. Get him here. We're going to have a great night together at Man to Man. And before you go today, I need several men who can help us for about 15 minutes to set up in the youth area for Chick Connection Tuesday morning. So if you can stay and help us just for a few minutes, it'll be a great blessing. Thanks so much. Stand to your feet if you would. Have a great, great Sunday.